Hey, it is good to be with you again here at Way of Jesus again this morning. And uh, thank you. Thank you for, yeah, the worship time was just beautiful. Love to worship Yvonne and I love to worship the Lord together. It's fun to worship you, worship him with you as well. And the Sunday school time. Thank you, Seth, for that um, lesson. Especially that passage in Jeremiah 29, a favorite of mine for years, verse 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And so in the midst of all the crazy things that are going on in our culture and our world today, that is the right thing, the, the one right thing that we can do, and that is to seek God. And we will, he will be found when we seek him with all our hearts. So thank you for that. Yeah, and thank you for the assignment. I always kind of like it when I get to choose my own way what I want to preach, but uh, ultimately it's the Lord that directs, and I believe he spoke through our brother. In asking to talk about the church and the biblical purpose of the church. And um, yeah, so that's what we want to talk about this morning. I want you to take some scripture references, if you would, those of you that love to read in public. Um, I'm going to do some reading. But is there someone that would look up a couple passages in Revelation? Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and verse 9. Someone want to read that? Revelation 21, 2 and 9, and then also jump into chapter 22 and read verse 17. And then I think I'm going to read from Ephesians 5. Someone take uh, Romans 12, verse 12. Romans 12, 12, and then maybe while, while you're at it, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Romans 12, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Okay, why don't you take the next one? I was going to have that brother read the same thing. You take Ephesians three fifteen, sister. Ephesians three fifteen. And then I know your husband can read too. Ernie, would you uh, read First Peter two seventeen? Oh, you, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Someone else read First um, Peter two seventeen. Okay. Thank you. Then Ephesians six twelve. Did somebody raise their hand on that one? Ephesians 6.12, 2 Corinthians 10.4. Maybe somebody can actually quote that from memory. Yvonne, 2 Corinthians 10.4. Yeah, okay, I think that'll be enough. So, and I'm hoping that this can be kind of a, kind of a dialogue here this morning. Is that Okay. So if you have something that jumps out to you and you'd just like to say it, just blurt it out or raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like to say something. Or if you have a question, 
or a comment, and usually I say, or a correction, because I don't have the last word on this. Jesus does. So let, let's make it a, a dialogue, if, if you don't mind. And um, if, if you don't, yeah, let's move through the time that way, but especially I want to focus the last few minutes on some, just some good open discussion. So, basic outline here is going to be the church in four different pictures that we find it in Scripture. The first one is as a bride... And then, as a body, brotherhood, and what was the other one? Oh, um, a battle. Body, or, or bride, body, brotherhood and battle, or you could say battlefield. Who, who was it that said, oh, let's have you all look up this passage. Uh, Matthew 16, to all of you, if you have your Bibles, whether they're pages or electronic version, Matthew 16, verses 15 to 19. So who, who said those words? I will build my church. Jesus. Jesus said those words. So in this simple little sentence, who is the subject? It says I. We have the pronoun I, which represents Jesus, right? So he's the subject. And what is he doing? What, what's the action? Building, He says, I will build. And what's he building? His church. his church. It's not just a church, my church or his church. So one of the things that I, I love to do is think about life through children's eyes. I have... Seven little grandchildren now. Started out with five grand buddies. Uh, now I have two little grand girlies or whatever you. Uh, it, girls aren't buddies. What are they? <laughs> Friends, whatever. <laughs> Pals. Anyways, my one little grand buddy, if you ask him, how are you doing? He'll say, Perfect. Perfect. And so I, I love to figure out new ways to, how are you doing, Cadman? Perfect. Children have such a way of, yeah, charming us and, and putting life in perspective sometimes. So 
I don't know if you've ever, there are many parents here, that's one thing I noticed about this church, there's lots of children, not too many young people, some, but uh, there will be eventually. Um, but if you've ever had, if you've ever had your child come up to you and say, hey, daddy, or hey, mommy, look at this picture, I just drew a picture of a house, and, and you look at the picture and and yeah, yeah, you can imagine there's a house there and maybe the walls are kind of leaning and, and the window's kind of crooked and the chimney's kind of going sideways out the roof or whatever. Do you say, oh, come on, that's not a house. Why don't you go and draw me a real house? Is that what you'd say? No, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, wow, Johnny, that's a wonderful house wow I wonder that must be exciting to live in that house you know you applaud him and somehow I think it's the same way when when Jesus says I will build my church that doesn't mean that he doesn't want us involved yeah you just mind your business I'm going to build my church rather he invites us into it into this thing of that he calls church my church and I'm sure as he looks down from his heaven, it looks a bit skewed once in a while. You know, he can kind of imagine this is church, you know. But he's not rebuking us. He's not shaking his finger at us and criticizing us. Say, yeah, come on, start over. But he's applauding us. Like the, those songs about the father, the good, good father. And so he wants us to get involved and... You know, I'm thinking sometimes he, he may look down and he probably kind of winks at the Holy Spirit and says, you know, they think church is all about four walls and a roof. And that's okay, that's okay. We'll, we'll do church that way. Or, you know, they think that the, they think the church needs a big conference. You know, lots of people. That's okay. We'll work with that. Or maybe looks at Jesus and says, you know, I know you suffered for this, but see what they're doing now? Yeah, that's okay. And he just invites us to get involved in the process. And it's kind of a messy process sometimes. It doesn't always look, I'm sure, to God like exactly what he had in mind, but he wants us to get involved and to, and to, and to keep, keep working at this thing we call church. And so with that in mind, I don't in any way want to suggest that I have all the answers or that any of us really, in all of our collective wisdom, could put it together perfectly. Let's, uh, let's read from Matthew 16, where Jesus said this. Jesus is talking to Peter here in verse 15. <clears throat> he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me interrupt here. The one song we sang talked about God's love coming after you. Where's the worship leader? Yeah, isn't that what it says? Your love is coming. You know, so often we view ourselves as running after his love. We're wanting his love. And desperately, God, just give me your love. Help me to feel your love. Well, his love is just coming after us. And in a similar way, this, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A lot of times we interpret that to be kind of a, a defensive position. You know, all hell is breaking loose, and it's coming after the church, and, you know, but, but the church, you know, hell will not prevail against us. But it's not actually in the original Aramaic stated that way. It's more that my church is going after the gates of hell. And there's no way that the gates of hell can withstand the love, the power of the body of Christ. So he says that, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I like that, that, that dogmatic statement. seems to give a lot of power to the church, right? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. <clears throat> the NASB translates it. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So in other words, the church simply reflects God's doing. But then other translations, even modern translations, don't put it that way. They kind of let it the way it is in the Texas Receptus, which is what the King James is. The original manuscript, not the original manuscript, but a copy of the original. I think I have that in another trans. No, I don't. Yeah, other translations would, would reinforce that. So, this is the church. It is prevailing against the gates of hell, and there's no way the gates of hell are going to stand up against the power and beauty, purity, the pristine relevance of the church of Jesus Christ in our culture today. It's relevant today. Not just five years ago, not ten years ago, today. Let's, uh, okay, so, so we got these four pictures, the bride, the body, the brotherhood, and the battlefield. And one thing I'd like to hear from you and the general at, at the end discussion is which of these pictures resonates the most with you? And, and, and I might ask you, what is church to you? We could even ask that right up front here. Why did you come here today? Why are you here? Brotherhood. 
Brotherhood. Did you say that? Okay. 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 So brotherhood, that resonates. Do you realize that that's why most people join the gangs in Los Angeles or wherever, Chicago, Philadelphia, is because of identity, brotherhood. They don't get it in their families anymore, and so they're, they want to belong. What about the rest of you? Is, is that true for all of you? Maybe that's kind of an Anabaptist thing? I'm not sure. Um, beauty, the bride, the brides are beautiful, attractive, pure. Did you come here this morning because you just love the beauty of this place? The assembly, the ecclesia. Service. Okay. That would be more to the body part of it, where every part, you know, the hand has its thing, the feet do their thing, the brain hopefully is, well, the brain is the head. Um, service, that's how we serve. Okay. And, and that's, we saw that here already this morning, you know. By the way, I, th- I think Pastor Dale does such a good job of emceeing things. You know, I watched your fundraiser for the school online last, whenever it was, and I think you emceed that. And uh, that takes a gift. That takes a particular gifting to be able to just kind of pull things together and do the emcee thing. This guy back in the booth there, we didn't see him much, but when he was missing, we noticed. Yeah. It's kind of like a big toe. You don't see your big toe, but if you're missing your big toe, you can hardly walk, hardly stand up. So, let's look at the bride. Revelation. Okay, Ernie, sorry. Almost made you read more than you need to. Revelation 21, verses 2 and 9, and then jump up into chapter 22, verse 17. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And then that was uh, chapter 20, verse 17, correct? Mm-hmm. 22. 22. 22, verse 17. 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So that's talking about the church there. And I like in in the one verse you read there, bride, the lamb's wife. It kind of ties bride and wife together. Usually we think in terms of a bride being still single and then she becomes a wife. But really it's the same thing. Beautiful bride, the church, the groom. Uh, Jesus is the groom and the bride together. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. And someday 
we're going to be married. At this point, we're just kind of the bride. Someday we're going to be married to the Lamb. So let's go to Ephesians where it talks more in terms of, of um, the wife picture. I'm going to read this from the message. I love the message. The message is just a paraphrase kind of of, of the text. But the message especially, I, I like the, the title message because anytime the preacher gets up and starts talking about the Bible, he's, he's giving a message, right? So he's taking the words, the text of Scripture, and he's kind of explaining it in ways that we can understand it. That's what the message does. Verse 21, Ephesians 5. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. So you get the picture. Here's the church, Christ and the church. The church is submitting to Christ. And, you know, this... We always need to define who, who Christ is. You know, we don't get to create Christ in our own image. He is who he is. And then we submit to that. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. It's the bride, the beautiful bride. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ teaches, uh, uh, treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, Paul says, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Okay, so the bride. Anybody have any questions or comments or thoughts or corrections about the bride? Does anybody most identify with that picture of the church? Or maybe you don't identify with it from your past history or experience, but can you envision or imagine something so beautiful, so attractive, so winsome? You were saying that we're not yet married to Christ. Okay, well, I, I think primarily from Revelation there. Um, am I correct? Am I wrong? Am I mistaken? I stand to be corrected. Yeah. What, what, did, what raises that question? I guess I would like to, in, 
in my in my mind, I could be wrong, but I feel like there's nothing that's keeping us from experiencing that fullness with Christ today, except we're not physically with Him, mm-hmm. but spiritually yeah. we can live in wholeness yeah. as His bride yeah. today. Yeah, and and in fact, Ephesians would indicate that, wouldn't it? I just read it. It refers to the church as the wife. You know, so I th- I think you I think you're correct. I think where, where I get that more is from, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's like the marriage ceremony happens in heaven. But, but you're right, I think we are. I think that wife-bride picture is really interchangeable. Yeah. Anyone else? Let's look at the body part here. Romans 12.12 12 and 1 Corinthians 12.12. 12. Okay, and then jump, jump also and read verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 12. You, can you give me a little more volume there? Yeah. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Okay, so we see that the body, the members, the different parts playing their role. Any comments on that? What, what stands out to you as you read those or perused? I think it's a really cool picture, like how they compare the body to the church. Like, the body can't function without, you know, there's so many important members. Like you mentioned, the big toe. There, you know, something that you really wouldn't think of being that important. But without it, your life is drastically affected. So is a church. Without any individual member, whether that's the sound guy or any, anything, mm-hmm. it's just your church is going to be drastically affected. So it needs everyone to function as God would have it. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, and along with that are the giftings. You know, we could have a whole discussion on the spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Have you ever taken one of those question things, profiles, and it tells you exactly who you, who you are, what your gifting is? Anybody here know what their spiritual gift is? You're not bragging. You're just stating facts. Okay? What is your spiritual gift? I think you said a prophet, right? Part of it, yes. Yeah. What's your spiritual gift? What's your wife's spiritual gift? I was thinking more of the other gift. Service. Service. Okay, yep. You know, there are different lists. There are the five prominent ones, and then there's these little extras. Do you think you only have one gift? And another question is, do you think that gift can change? Will God give you another one? Like maybe, maybe he gives you one, and if you exercise that really well, he'll say, oh, this guy can handle another gift. Just some thoughts. Um, do you think it changes depending on what local body you're connected to? So maybe you come to way of Jesus... And because all of you are so like Jesus, and so loving and kind and merciful, maybe you need a prophet. <laughs> or maybe you came and you're all prophets. And so you need a mercy. Yeah, I, I think some of that 
God develops within us. In fact, I think he uses the giftings around us to help shape us. Someone recently suggested to me that maybe I have the gift of mercy. I was totally shocked by that. Because, <laughs> you know, the questionnaires and so forth, and the way I exercise is more of my gifting is exhortation or pastoring and kind of coming alongside of people. And, and um, I just can't help it. I just do it. And I have a little bit of profit in me. I can shake my finger once in a while. Um, but someone said, well, you know, I tend to, I tend to uh, feel for people. And somebody suggested to me, one of our overseers with the BMA in Los Angeles just the other week, told me, well, maybe you have the gift of mercy. He says, because mercies often get accused of being um, two-faced. Because, oh, they feel sorry for this person and his issue and problem. Oh, they feel sorry for this one over here, too. And, and, and so they say, well, who are you? You know, seem two-faced. So I think maybe God is developing mercy in me, I hope. Any, any of you that really, oh, some of you, talk about it. Why did you identify with the body part, the brotherhood? Or, oh, yeah. Was it the brotherhood? Okay, I'm sorry. It was the brotherhood. Yeah. We'll get to you. But if you have something here, too. Anything on the body? Anybody want to talk about the body more than what the brother already shared here? Let's, let's move on to the brotherhood. Ephesians 3, 15. Brotherhood, family... Belonging, that's what we're looking at. Uh, uh, whatever you want to read around there. I'm going to start in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, Oh, uh, what are you reading? Are you reading Ephesians three fifteen? Yeah, the family. And I, I, yep. Yeah. To be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, family. All the saints filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? The way the body of Christ, or, or, or yeah, the um, family of Christ, the family of God just kind of rallies around and becomes who he is. That's how, that's how we experience Christ. People need a Jesus with skin on. That's who Christians are. They're Jesus with skin on. That's the family. Anybody want to talk about that? Part of brotherhood to me is, is getting together um, physical beings, right? And we discovered the absence of that when we shut down for several weeks, you know, stayed at home and did. We were live streaming, you know, one person coming in here, live streaming. Yeah. 
doesn't work. And then yeah. worship is part of that. That worship experience of worshiping God together as a brotherhood. Is, is it, it, church is different than just individual by myself. It can be done. Yeah. But there's just a different feeling. There's just something different about being together. Yeah. That's why I found the church. Yeah. Good. Very good. And you had some thoughts on that, I think, brother. This family piece, brotherhood. Mm. If you have a tight brotherhood, you're going to march together. Mm-hmm. Well, so yes. You have that, that trust, that connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it very quickly becomes a battle with people as well. Yep. I love, you, you, you used twice, maybe three times, the word connection. I love that word connection. Uh-huh. Yes. That's beautiful. You know the thing, go ahead. Correction when needed. Correction when needed? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times we don't think of correction as being a positive thing. Right. Oh my. Yeah. We were Ivan and I just completed a huge trip. We left on August 11th, I think it was, from Guy's Mills, drove west, went up into Wisconsin, some of my home territory, Minnesota. Uh, my family was mostly Wisconsin, my family, and then much of my past ministry in Minnesota and so forth. Out through Idaho, a wedding in Idaho, a retreat in Oregon, dropped down to Los Angeles, and then kind of made a beeline back west to catch a, a workshop at Life Ministries. And we, we went 11,356 miles in seven weeks. <laughs> um, but one, along the way somewhere we were talking about, you know, if you're going the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how, how well you drive, how fast you drive, if you're going the wrong direction you're not going to get where you need to go. And that's where correction comes in. You know, if we're headed the wrong direction, we may be driving perfectly, no speeding. By the way, I got no speeding tickets. Um, No car problems, nothing. Just me and my bride having a good time. But if we're heading the wrong direction, if we wanted to get to Los Angeles and we were headed toward Tampa, Florida... I hope somebody corrects us. You know, the GPS better would, you know. Um, by the way, we had the Bible and the Holy Spirit. We had the map, the atlas, and the GPS is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> GPS is not always correct, though, so not quite the Holy Spirit all the time. But anyways, that's correction is so important in the body. Anyone else or in the brotherhood? Wow. Forget about the work. Huh? Just go to the wedding. Another 
yeah, 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 wow. Well, you know, it, I want to add to that. Sure. And then I have a Romanian that works for me, and he keeps saying this observation that he has. He sees when the people leave the Amish, they never find their place again. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, and that's probably a good thing. You know, there's we can we can improve. You know, they they say you can take the boy off the farm, but you can never take the farm out, out of the boy. Um, good to hang on to those values, those core root values. We may God may be leading us into more things and new new insight and so forth, but to to treasure who we are, so we don't become disoriented and not. Not know who we are? We need to know who we are. Okay. Finally. Oh, first first Peter two seventeen. Who who took first Peter two seventeen? Okay. Right up there with honoring the king. Love the brotherhood. Wow, beautiful. Okay, battlefield. Let's look at the concept of battle and spiritual warfare. Ephesians six, twelve. Who took that one? Okay. Yeah. You know, if if you're experiencing church problems, there's where it is. That's why. This is a battle. You know, we're talking about the, the body of Christ. We're talking about the bride, the beautiful bride. No wonder Satan hates us so much. And he's going to throw everything at us that he can. It's a spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians 10, 4. I forget. Okay. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So this is a spiritual battle and so we can't fight it with carnal weapons and that's why you know it always bothers me when people say well you know we need to bring in somebody who can determine the exact giftings and and you know let's get all this talent you know properly arranged and I'm not saying there's no there's no value in that but that's not the solution the solution is not in our organization, our structure, you know, let's join this conference or let's bring in this team or whatever, get ourselves perfectly. What well, the, the solution to church problems is a revival, awakening, reawakening, revival. And T. Austin Sparks in his little book called The School of Christ, he says, problems in the Christian church are always, and yet bold, it's always, Problems in the Christian church are always corrected, correction, always corrected by a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. Because it's a warfare. It's between Satan and Jesus. And we are, we are the soldiers. And so it's, it's a spiritual battle. Someone have any, does that resonate with you? The battlefield. Do you, do you feel in the heat of it? Do you feel in the battle struggle? And even if it's, hopefully you're not 
I don't see too much fighting going on here this morning. <laughs> but there can even be in the greater Christian community, you know, we've got the, the politics, you know, and stuff, and there are Christians on both sides, and, you know, and there's just warfare in the air these days. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Okay, let's, let's have, I, I think we're at 12 here, even after. Sorry about that. Let's have a quick, do you have some, some thoughts or some further discussion that you'd like on any of these points? Has this been helpful? Yeah, yeah. It's actually laid out like how we do Yeah, take on the full armor of God that you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Yeah, I get kind of troubled sometimes when I hear people talk about taking the sword and we're going to do spiritual battle and we're going to start slashing this and slashing that. I see blood everywhere when I hear that. <laughs> but it is a battle. Anyone else? kind of like, it reminds me of what I think Howard Hendricks said from Dallas Theological Seminary regarding marriage. He said, you choose, you choose your wife, no, no, yeah, you choose, you choose your bride, and then you, yeah, you choose your wife, and then you love your choice. That's how he said it. You choose your wife, and then you love your choice. So maybe Jesus chose us, he called us, and we responded, and we said yes, and ooh. <laughs> All he has left to do is to love his choice. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's a good point. There's so much about, but, you know, there's, we're not pretty all the time, you know, and we grooms aren't always very pretty either. I mean, Jesus is. By the way, we have the higher expectation to live up to because Jesus was perfect. There's no church that's perfect, and so you women can relax, you know. You don't have to be perfect. <laughs> but we need to be perfect. Um, good point. 
You have any further thoughts? Anybody have a comment on that? I don't know that I have a good answer. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. You know, and I, lo I love this returning emphasis on collection. Someone talked about marching together. We march together in the, in the battle. Connection. We're all a part of that beauty. And so sometimes we have little warts and pimples and stuff. And so maybe we can do that for each other. We can... And put a little makeup over the pimple that we see, you know. So maybe there's someone who's messing up a little bit here. Maybe we can kind of make up for the difference. By the way, connection for addiction. Did you know that connection is the opposite of addiction? So if you're addicted to something, get connected with people. So many addictions are fed by loneliness and isolation but connection brotherhood family that's the opposite of addiction okay anyone else thank you so much for we count it a privilege to be here Yvonne and I are hoping to attend here by the way we made this long trip we're planted for a little while in Illinois helping uh, Rachel's, uh, my first wife's family. Uh, her mother had a stroke some time back, and it was actually Yvonne, bless her heart, idea. Uh, maybe while we're kind of in between things here, let's care for Mom Schrader a bit. So we're going to be there for a couple months. Hopefully coming back here about the middle of January, and so you might be seeing more of us. And we look forward to hanging out with you guys. We, we consider you to be a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. Thank you.